People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to Premier League Insights, the soccer betting show that gives you expert insight to help inform your predictions across the Premier League. It's been a while, but we're we're back for game week 21. And of, of course, with me to, to help analyse the odds for this weekend's game is, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Long time no speak, Jake. How are you? Is everything good? Yeah, it has been a long time. Uh, not too bad, thanks, Ben. How are you doing? Are you, uh, you keeping all right, current climate? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, obviously, I think we're in a similar situation that we're we're locked down. Not much, not much time to go outside, but plenty of soccer on, so enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, yeah um, it's plenty of time to study as well for for the uh, the soccer at the weekend. That's it, and I think outside of what's going on with the world and everything like that, specific to the the Premier League, obviously, a lot has happened since we last spoke. I think it's been almost a month, or, or maybe even more since then. But there's been a lot of change at the top of the table not so much down towards the bottom of the table, but um, I'd like to just maybe give you a couple of minutes to just sort of talk a little bit about what you've made of the last few weeks and, and kind of the changes we've seen across the table. Who's who's impressed you and, and who have you been disappointed with? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few in the in the aforementioned category there. Um, the obvious one being Manchester City. They've been sensational on an 11-game unbeaten run in the Premier League uh, since losing 2-0 to Tottenham. They've kept nine clean sheets in that run. But looking closer at the numbers, the the sort of the underlying metrics that they're putting up are, are frightening for the rest of the league. They're averaging around 2.34 expected goals for per game, which is obviously an improvement on what they were showing at the start of the season, where you know we highlighted on numerous occasions that their attack wasn't quite clicking. Um, but it's defensively where they're putting up some astounding numbers. They're allowing just 0.54 expected goals against per game, which is incredibly low. It's half of the total um, their expected goals against per game total from last season. Um, and I did some calculations that in the six seasons that InfoGoal's got Premier League data, the best defensive team based on expected goals against over each six seasons averages around 0.9 expected goals against per game. So on average, the best defensive team in the league sets that bar at 0.9. And Manchester City are nearly halving what that bar is uh, is currently at. So they are performing at a really, really elite level. And it does suggest that they're going to be very difficult to stop, even though they have got some tough fixtures coming up. John Stone's out of nowhere, obviously. <laughs> I think Ruben yeah. Diash as well has obviously been pivotal to that as well, do you think? Absolutely, yeah. That that partnership that actually started after that 2-0 defeat to Tottenham. So, you know, they're, they're unbeaten with those two guys at centre-half. Um, they've kept nine clean sheets, as I've mentioned. And since that, that game against Tottenham, uh, I mean, even that game against Tottenham, we, you know, we spoke about it before, there was, was a, a defeat that probably shouldn't have been a defeat. But in that 11-game run, no team has created more than one expected goal against them. Um, so they, they really are limiting opponent chances very, very well. Um, and yeah, Pep Guardiola, he did his tinkering at the start of the season. We spoke about the fact that there was a, um, a short pre-season, that there was a lack of, um, you know, lack of time for any new ideas to be implemented they've obviously been missing key players you think Aguero who's barely kicked a ball this season Jesus played the opening game then he was injured for four or five and now Kevin De Bruyne's out injured so it just shows you that the system that they've got set up there at Manchester City is is fantastic and it will just continue to churn out results and yeah they're, they're going to be difficult to stop they've climbed to the top of the table they've climbed to the top of our expected goals table which was 
headed by Liverpool for most of the season, even though they had their rough patch. Um, and the forecast to finish top now, and obviously the bookmakers have got them extremely short to do so. Then what about towards the, the bottom of the table? Obviously, some teams have had a bit of a recovery. Some of them have, have dropped into that fight down the bottom there. So who there is are you kind of more worried about and who have you been impressed with to, to get themselves out of trouble? Yeah, well, the, the impressive ones are obviously Burnley. You think about um, you know, at the start of the season, we were sort of laughing at the price of them to, to be relegated. And for, for about 10 games, we were looking a little bit worried and a little bit stupid because they were really struggling. But they've kicked on really impressive, impressively. And, uh, and in vintage Burnley style, I think they've, they've lost just four of the last 13 in the Premier League, winning six of those. But across that period, they've conceded just, uh, I think it's just 10, 10 goals. And their expected goals against output is 22.9. So they've overperformed over that stretch by around 13 goals, which is just vintage Burnley, throwing bodies on the line, blocking shots, some really good goalkeeping performances from Nick Pope. And, and ultimately, they're almost certain to climb out of the uh, out of the mire. I think they've got a, a nine-point cushion now on Fulham, having played the same amount of games as well. So they look very, very comfortable. Um, obviously, ended Liverpool's uh, Anfield run as well, which is something that, that we didn't get a chance to talk about over the uh, the last few weeks, which was a pretty sensational result. And then, obviously, you had Sheffield United, who went to beat Manchester United at Old Trafford as well. So, two real upsets for the books there. Um, teams that I'm worried about... That through gritted teeth, James. Sheffield <laughs> yeah, you sort of felt there was a result coming for them, though. We've spoken again at length about how fortunate they've been this season and, and people tarring them with the brush of being the worst Premier League team in history couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, they're not even the worst Premier League team in this season based on underlying metrics. And sooner or later, they were going to get a bit of luck and they got that at Old Trafford. I think they had four or five shots in the game, scored two of them um, from chances equating to 0.4 expected goals. So they had a little bit of uh, positive variance there in that match. But yeah, teams I'm worried about. West Brom continue to set the pace for being one of the worst teams that we've ever seen um, from uh, an underlying numbers standpoint. Worst attack. They've got the worst defence in the league, um, obviously the fewest expected points. Fulham, we'll get onto them a little bit later, but um, they have shown shoots of improvement. Brighton, who currently sit 17th and five clear, um, they continue to be an absolute freak and anomaly. They're playing at a top half level, but uh, are still failing to get the results that the performances deserve. And then you look at Newcastle, who've dropped like a stone. You know, we, we spoke about them at the start of the season as being potential candidates for relegation, and, and they're starting to look more and more like that after a solid start. Uh, and then the other team I'd, I would probably just mention is Crystal Palace as well. I know they've got quite a big buffer between themselves and, and Fulham, uh, who occupy the third relegation spot. But um, they themselves are performing at a very similar level to what Newcastle are right now. Yeah, and we will. I think Newcastle feature in our, our first game of the weekend, so we will get on to them in more detail shortly. But firstly, we'll we'll go back to the... We were picking our, our highlight games for our prediction challenge throughout the season, which obviously has, has stalled a little bit with the, the missed episodes that we did. But we've still got the records. We can pick it back up. And InfoGoal has got a, a little bit of an advantage, both in the number of predictions and the returns that you've had from those predictions on the, the flat staking that we've been doing. But... Pinnacle's going with the the most obvious one, I think, for for people. Arsenal versus Manchester United is their highlight game. And what's the one that the info goal is going to pick? Yeah, it's quite an interesting slate this week. There's quite a few games that have got a fair bit of meaning. Um, but one of them that I think is probably not at the top of that list, but definitely one in terms of, um, you know, a big underperformer taking on a big overperformer um, comes in the final game of the game week, which is Brighton versus Tottenham. I think that'll be a really interesting game to watch. And I think Brighton have actually got a really good record against Tottenham uh, recently, especially I think they beat them 3-0 last year. So it could be a really interesting game. So we're going to go with that for our highlight match. 
All right, well, let's let's jump into our first game straight away. We've got Everton versus Newcastle and kind of a mix of teams. And we mentioned it there with Newcastle. Everton have, have kind of been up and down. Newcastle have just been down. Um, <laughs> Everton, are, I mean, they, they jumped out the blocks at the start of the season. A great start. I think it was four or five wins on the bounce. They've, they've almost replicated that recently. Is it four wins in six or something like that? And a decent enough draw against Leicester last time out, although... XG probably just shaded it towards Leicester and it was a, another Pickford howler that, that cost Everton in the end. But um, Newcastle, just a, a, a horrid run. Um, five losses in a row. They had that draw with Liverpool, but even before that, it was it was pretty poor. Um, they've scored once or twice in the last six games. It's, it's, it's difficult at the top end of the pitch for them at the moment, creating chances, putting them away. It's also difficult at the other end of the pitch and keeping their opponents out. And I think... You mentioned it there, 16th now on the table. Alarm bells have, have got to be ringing for them um, and worrying about sort of that that relegation struggle. Um, in terms of the prices, we've got Everton at, at 1.613, Newcastle at 6.43 and the draw is at 4.0. So percentage-wise, that's 61% for Everton, uh, 15 for Newcastle and 24% on the draw. Are you going to get us going with a good value bet, Jake? Is there is there something in this for you or do you think the market's got it right? Yeah, I think the market is is definitely very interesting because, um, you know, it's almost, to me anyway, it, it's forming this price on pure results because while Everton are obviously flying high and they've won a fair few matches recently, uh, the performances actually haven't been very good in that time. Whereas Newcastle, you know, performances and results have been bad. So um, I think obviously Everton rightly favourites, the very short price favourites in my eyes. Um, we make them closer to about 1.85, 1.9, as opposed to the, you know, the really short price that you quoted there. So I think that there, there is potentially um, an opportunity to attack that Everton price, um, and that's purely just because of what I've said. Their, their underlying numbers over the last few weeks have been really, really poor. Um, won five of the last seven. So as I said, the results have been really strong. But during that good run, that seven-game run, they've averaged just 0.85 expected goals for per game, which is a really, really low number for a, a team that has such strong attacking quality. You know, you think of Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, James was back, uh, has been back for a couple of weeks now. Um, for them to put up that kind of figure is really disappointing. And, um, and you know, I know that they've reverted back to a sort of defensive style um, when a couple of attacking players got Injured, I think Coleman and Dino, who are obviously two real main suppliers for um, for their their front three, they both dropped out injury. So they went back to a defensive formation. It does seem as though they've not really found that attacking groove yet again. Um, I think Decore is back for this game, which will be a huge plus in terms of driving them up the pitch. But um, that is a concern for me. And it does suggest that they might have a little bit of, of, of an issue potentially breaking down Newcastle because... The games in which they played recently, I mean, you can just reel them off. They, you know, Leicester, Leicester are a team that will, you know, play on the front foot against Everton, so Everton can sit back. Even against Wolves, if you watch that game, you would have seen that Wolves were, you know, they they were the aggressors in that match. Um, and the same, you could argue, was, was Bramall Lane against Sheffield United, where Everton won one nil, where it was the Blades that were doing the, you know, the advanced pressing, the real attacking-minded formations. A, 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 Obviously, Everton was sitting back and they were happy to do that. But it'll be interesting to see how they deal with this Newcastle team that will obviously want to set up in a similar manner. Um, Newcastle themselves, obviously, horrendous run of form. Uh, I think it's Steve Bruce's longest winless run as a manager. I think it's eight games, maybe nine games now in the league. Uh, but yeah, their under underlying metrics are very, very similar to what they, they posted last season, where they were almost fortunate not to get dragged into that mire 
averaging around one expected goal per game, conceding around 1.7 expected goals against per game. So they are really, um, you know, a team that are, like, where we expect them to be in, in that relegation battle. And, um, you know, although they, they put on a decent enough performance against Leeds, especially in that second half, they went down 2-1. Racked up 1.44 expected goals. I think they had about 22 shots in that game, though. So it just shows you the the XG per shot was extremely small. And if you if you go to him for goal, if you look at the shot map, um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. There's a loads of tiny dots outside the area, and and you know, the old adage is you don't shoot, you don't score. But if you're Newcastle, you want to be getting closer to the goal and getting better opportunities if you're going to actually um, you know score goals and win games. Um, having said that, the reintroduction of Alan St Maximan could really kickstart their season because, you know, he only played for half a game against Leeds, but his ball-carrying ability really can do some damage. I think his decision-making is questionable at times, but the way in which he glides past players and commits players and gets that ball into the final third is something that they've they've desperately missed. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact he can have in this game. But, um, yeah, I think, as I've said, the prices Everton are too short for me. Instead, looking at the, the goal line, the market has under two and a half at around 1.9, 1.91. We make it a little bit closer to 1.8, uh, 1.78 for a 55% chance of under 2.5 goals. So that that for me is a real standout bet, especially given Everton's attacking issues. And I think if Everton are to win this, it will be a low scoring one. Yeah, I think I haven't got the the next manager to be sacked odds to hand, but I'm going to be guessing that, that Steve Bruce is, is there or thereabouts as the favourite. He obviously... <laughs> came out and said he's going to play his way I think it was I don't really know what he actually meant by that but do you, do you think he's he's close to to getting sacked what do you make of that situation yeah uh I think it's, it's a strange one because you could have argued that he deserved to be sacked after last season um you know we we, we were laughing about it in the pre-season podcast all the pundits who are coming out and saying oh he's done a great job you know he's under this so much pressure over there and he's got them to this position in the league but we're looking at the underlying numbers and they'd actually declined on the previous few seasons where Rafa Benitez had obviously done a, you know a fairly decent job but still overperformed and those numbers have sort of declined again they're in the bottom um, three for every single metric across the board even if even just the basic ones shots created or shots taken shots conceded um, expected goals, expected goals against every single metric they are in the bottom three. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprise to me to, if, he, if he was to be sacked because I do think that this squad is much better than than what their current league position is showing. I think there's a lot more talent there than than you know what that current position uh, of 16th is showing. And um, yeah, Steve Bruce clearly isn't the man that's to, to get the best out of it. Right, well, we'll get on to our next game. We've got Crystal Palace versus Wolves. And these two, I mean, they're right next to each other in the table. I think they're both on the same points as well after the same amount of games, but very different seasons. You you talked about Palace and the, the issues they've had. I think Wolves, it's, I mean, they obviously lost Diego Jota. Uh, Jimenez is that horrible injury. I think even at the back, they've really struggled to be a, at full strength as well. So for a team we've become sort of accustomed to expecting a challenge to top six from I think them hanging around mid-table it doesn't look great but I think all things considered it's not too bad for them at the moment as for Palace they've just been their, their normal self I think bottom bottom five um, on expected goals with an average of just over one per game they obviously brought some some people in at, over the summer to, to try and improve that but it's not really happened also bottom three for XG against. Um, I think they're 1.7 1. 1. per game they're conceding. Um, 
the market on this one's fairly evenly split 2.99 for palace 2.7 for wolves it's also a low total at, at just two goals on pinnacle um the over as you'd expect is the favorite there um but doesn't look like it's going to be a thriller jake but is there <laughs> anything from a, a betting perspective that maybe jumps out to you yeah, straight away that price about Wolves um, is is enticing me in, and um, I think that is even more so now that they've signed uh, an out and out number nine who is a very similar mould to Raúl Jiménez, and that's William Jose from Real Sociedad. He's a a player that is very um, very physical. He's got very good touch, and he is a bit of a, a poacher as well. So he, he has the similar traits to Jiménez, and I think he will provide a focal point to really get the best out of the likes of Daniel Pedence, Pedro Neto, Adama Traore, who've all flashed in different bits, uh, different points of the season. Um, it was really, I think, from a Wolves perspective, it was really good to see them go to Chelsea, keep a clean sheet and look very comfortable defensively because that's something that, that had eluded them um, for, for quite a while. But, you know, they still didn't offer that threat. And I did some, um, some number crunching looking at how Wolves have, have performed in different systems this season. Um, obviously, they, Nuno's been tinkering with a, a back fo- uh, playing a back four, a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Um, and when they play in that system as a back four, they're creating around 0.6 expected goals more per game than when they play with a back five. Now, that is a, a, a simply staggering number. Um, and it shows you that basically when they play a back five without Jimenez, they are just struggling to create any chances. They're struggling to create any openings. Um, and interestingly, when they play a back four, the defensive process is only 0.1 of an expected goal worse off than when they play a back five. So they're really not gaining much this season by playing in that back five system. Um, and I think heading into this match, I would probably wait for team news on this just to see what kind of um, setup Nuno operates or opts for in, in this game. But if they are playing with the back four, I think the Wolves are a very, very good price to, to go to Crystal Palace and get the win. Um, they're more creative, as I've said, playing in that in that system. And they're, they're not as uh, they're only marginally worse defensively. And they're coming up against a Crystal Palace team who who are, you know, they're they're in a very bad moment, same as Newcastle. They've won two of the last 12, but those two games were against the two teams at the bottom of the table, West Brom and Sheffield United. Um, and they're, you know, while Roy Hodgson has been trying to make them more advent, uh, adventurous in attack. I think if you think of the recent formations, the recent lineups, Eze's been playing on the left, Townsend on the right, Zahar's been playing in in behind a, you know, another striker, be it Venteke or Batshuayi. Um, but it just hasn't been working. You look at the figures, 0.9 expected goals for created per game in that 12-game stretch. So that is really, really low total. And, and on the flip side, they're allowing 1.7 expected goals against per game, which you already mentioned. So they are really trending in a very negative direction. Uh, if they continue playing the same manner, they're going to find it very difficult to pick up points. And they too could well get sucked into um, a relegation battle, uh, provided the likes of Fulham and West Brom can eventually pick up some points themselves. So, um, yeah, and even at home, their, their process is marginally worse than their overall process as well is Crystal Palace, uh, allowing 1.8 expected goals against per game. So they're not a very good home team uh, whatsoever. Wolves, away from home, they've not been that good this season, but I do think that they've got um, more quality than Crystal Palace. And I think that they're a, a very fair price, um, as I've said, provided that the that the back four system is, is put in place because that back five system hasn't been working for them this season. And if the back five is played, then under two and a half goals is definitely a, a pick that I would go for. Um, I think it's about 1.6 at the moment on the market. We make it slightly shorter, about 1.55. So um, under two and a half 
he's an obvious runner whenever Wolves play. But um, I do think that if, if they are playing in a more attacking formation, Wolves, I think that they could have a bit of joy. And you, you mentioned there the struggles in attack. Quick word on uh, Fabio Silva. It was a very, very strange transfer. But do you have any thoughts <laughs> on sort of how he's settled and how he's adapted to the league? Yeah, he's not settled well. Um, he's not adapted well, but I wouldn't expect anything other, uh, anything else from a, an 18-year-old kid who's just been dumped in a foreign country. Um, so uh, I think he he was obviously a purchase buy for the future. I think the plan was to obviously have Jimenez um, as almost a mentor figure figure for him and, and try and you know teach him a few things similar to what you know you think back to a couple of years ago when Ibrahimovic was playing for Manchester United and he was just trying to you know teach the younger, inexperienced Martial, Rashford's etc. Um, he is going to be a work in progress. I think they've signed him for the future as opposed to the, the, the right now. But given the injuries that, that they've sustained, they've had to throw him in at the deep end. And, you know, he's shown flashes. He's got a, a really silky touch. But for the moment, he doesn't look physical enough um, for, for this current Wolves team. And he doesn't hold the ball up well enough um, to bring his teammates into play. So he's definitely one for the future. I wouldn't write him off just yet based on uh, on what we've seen. All right, well, on we go to Manchester City versus Sheffield United's next. And we, we said at the top of the show, a very different picture for, for Man City at the moment. I think we always knew they were going to be challenging, but it, it, people are now saying it's, it's almost theirs to lose, given how things have gone with <laughs> Liverpool having a few poor results. And um, outrights on, on Pinnacle, they're, they're 1.259 to win the Premier League. So almost a, an 80% chance, which is, I mean, it seems crazy to me, but obviously if they carry on defending the way they're defending and, and scoring goals, then it's, it is really theirs to lose, isn't it? But given that they're heavy favourites for the title, you can see why they're, they're 1.13 against the team that are bottom of the table <laughs> and, and struggled for wins. But Sheffield United, obviously, you said shocked Manchester United in midweek, but they got just a 4% chance of doing the same at the Etihad. It's odds of uh, 25.81. That record is is just ridiculous for City, and they seem to click even without De Bruyne. Um, but eighty six percent chances, it's going to be too steep for for most people to want to take it on. I guess um, is there, is there anything in the markets then outside of the one x two maybe that you think could offer offer better value? Yeah, I was um, I was really interested just to to look at a little bit closer at this game because. Um, the model is actually flagging up both teams to score as value, just purely based on the price, um, which, you know, Sheffield United, they they are a team that do create chances. We've said that all season long. Their issue has been taking the chances. And, you know, the obvious look at the, the Infogol XG table, they've scored 12 goals this season, Sheffield United, from chances equating to 21.1 expected goals. So they've underperformed by about nine goals. But that tells you that they are creating the chances. Um, I think they... They caused Manchester City all sorts of problems last season when they were uh, when Sheffield United were playing very very well. I think they they actually won the XG battle in that game, 0.96 to 1.44 in Sheffield United's favour. So they actually played really well that time. Uh, yeah, in in that game, um, unfortunate to lose, but yeah, I, I don't think I can go for the a tip up the both teams to score. Um, as I've said, the the Manchester City defensive process is is simply staggering, and uh, they continue playing the way they are. They'll they'll probably set them. Um, any record for from an integral standpoint for the fewest expected goals allowed in a single Premier League season. So um, yeah, it's really impressive what I've seen from them. Like you said, De Bruyne is missing, but Gundogan stepped up. He's their top goal scorer in the league. Seven goals he's he's netted. He's averaging 0.35 expected goals per average match. He's on penalty duty as well um, in De Bruyne's absence, so he could be a, a, an anytime goal scorer option potentially for this. Um, but interestingly, the over two and a half is also a, a small. 
bit of value uh, based on the Infocom model. I think it's about 1.55 on the market. We've got it around 1.45, which I think is a a really, oh, sorry, 1.49. So it's not as big a value as as what that, what I initially thought, but still value playing and something that I think could absolutely happen. Um, You know, the reason behind that, Sheffield United did a lot of ball chasing against Manchester United in midweek, Manchester City, obviously flying, uh, firing on all cylinders, just making mincemeat of all the teams near the bottom of the table. And um, and then you factor in that Sheffield United will have one eye on a game against West Brom the following week, potentially resting players. They've, you know, they, I think they only named five subs against Manchester United. So they've already got a very limited and small squad available. Uh, whether Chris Wilder will want to save some of his players for that West Brom game could have an impact on this result. And uh, I think Manchester City win this quite comfortably, over two and a half goals. It's a short price, but um, I think it's the best bet in this one. Do you think that the the lack of strikers has helped Manchester? Would they be even better if they had Aguero and, and Jesus in? Is it something that's maybe made them build from the back and have that really strong foundation? Is there is there anything to that? Do you think? Um, I think I think the, the they've just they've just changed the, the style, and uh, you think back to Pep Guardiola's time at Barcelona. Um, he didn't always play with a number nine. They played with a false nine quite a bit, uh, actually. I think they played with a false nine in the run-up to the 2009 Champions League final and the 2011, if I remember rightly, because I think David Villa was playing out wide and, and Pedro were also playing out wide with Messi just sort of making a four a fourth man in midfield. So it's something that we've seen um, before from Guardiola's team. He obviously knows the mechanics of it in and, uh, in and out and he's getting the best out of the players that he has available. And I think... Um, I think that you know just just the quality they have on the pitch makes it work. You think of the you know the pivot that they've got in Rodri, who can break lines with his passing. Um, you've now got Gundogan, who's making those advanced runs into the box. Mares and Sterling are making the into out uh, out to in runs, uh, and then you've got other ball players like Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva that can play and, and pick passes. And I think the key really is the um, you know the, the the contribution of fullbacks because Jao Cancelo has probably been one of their better players this season in terms of um, incredible. He, he, he's come on leaps and bounds. You know, we, we know that he's got a real, um, he's a much more of an attacking fullback as he, than he is a defending fullback, but um, he really has improved. He's averaging around 0.2 expected assists per um, per 95 minutes this season. Um, and if you can get a price on him getting an assist, I think it'd be quite a juicy one. Um, I had a look, he got one in midweek. Uh, I managed to get on, I think it was about 8.5 the price that I managed to get for him to get an assist. So those markets are out there, they are available. Um, and it wouldn't be at all surprising to see him or maybe even Zinchenko playing at left-back come up with an assist because they have been really key outlets for this Manchester City team this season. Yeah, but it's interesting. He went from kind of utility man, didn't he, from sort of playing left to right <laughs> and whatnot to now yeah. being sort of the, the creative force for them. But yeah. yeah, an interesting one there, I think. And another interesting game for, for very different reasons is our next one. It's West Brom versus Fulham. Um <laughs> Not going to be too many positives to to talk about, maybe. But obviously, since we spoke, West Brom brought, brought in Sam Allardyce to to turn things round. Didn't start well with a, a loss to Aston Villa. I think they then scraped the draw against Liverpool, which things looked a little bit better. But since then, it was they got hammered by Leeds, they got hammered by Arsenal, they lost to West Ham in there. Obviously, hammered by City recently. I think they did have a win against Wolves, kind of sandwiched in amongst that run, but. It hasn't really been a great sort of first six games in charge for him. Um, you mentioned it as well. Worst expected goals record in the league. I've got them down as 0.784 per game and 2.13 against. Um, 
very unlikely they're going to stay in the league, especially with a process like that. Um, and one of the teams that I guess could be joining them going down to the championship is Fulham. Um, marginally better than West Brom. Uh, they're the third worst team in the league, according to expected goals that they kind of have in fits and starts showed some signs of improvement, but a lot of their, their kind of points seemingly have come from draws recently. And if they could have converted those into wins, then maybe things would look a, a lot different. Um, but they are the favourites here, Fulham. They're, they're priced at 2.35. West Brom are 3.44 and the draw is 3.27. So that's a, a split of 42%. Um, chance for Fulham, 28 for West Brom and, and 30% chance for the draw. So it's a, a crucial one down the bottom of the table, Jake. I guess, firstly, who do you think is going to win? And secondly, is there is there value in taking that on? Um, I think if there is to be a winner, it will be Fulham. Uh, but I don't think there will be a winner. I think the draw is a very sensible bet in this one. I think it's going to be a game that neither team wants to lose more than anything because, um, yeah, if West Brom lose all of a sudden their task looks even worse. This is a six-pointer, effectively. Um, and likewise, if Fulham lose and, and Brighton get a result against Spurs, then um, you know the, the bottom three really are cut adrift. So I think given the you know the, the, the size of the game, the magnitude of the game, I, I can see it being a very cagey, low-scoring match. Um, and that's, I think, where we find our, our main bit of value. Um, you know, you, you've nailed all the numbers there in terms of West Brom. They really are the, the worst team in the league. They're now only three points ahead of Sheffield United as well. And, um, you know, they, I think if, if if you can get a decent price about West Brom finishing bottom of the table, I would probably take it now because I think it is, it is extremely likely. And, um, yeah, they, they to be fair, they have a couple of games now, back-to-back, Fulham-Sheffield United is literally going to make or break their season. If they come away from those two games with no points, then I think it's curtains. Um, if they come away with six points, then, you know, we'll be, we'll be lauding Big Sam as, as an absolute genius and, you know, moving on um, to a potential um, survival stretch again. But yeah, their, their, their numbers since Sam took over really are uh, worrying. 22 goals conceded in seven games, um, averaging, oh, sorry, they've, they've conceded 15.4 expected goals, um, 2.2 expected goals against per game you know, since he took over. So their process on the season's actually got worse. Um, and they've only scored five times in that in that seven matches and two of those have been penalties averaging at 0.87 expected goals for per game. So they are just struggling at both ends of the pitch. And, and I think, you know, we touched on it in the pre-season podcast. We, we thought that their squad, very championship level, and, and they would struggle to bridge that gap. And it is proving to be the case. Um, as for Fulham, they've got a better squad. Um, I wouldn't argue they've got a better manager, but they have shown marginal improvements. Um, you know, that whenever they're playing, whenever they're on TV, the pundits are always, you know, they're always giving them plaudits really for, for good performances. You think of the Liverpool one in particular, the Tottenham one. I mean, against Tottenham, they could have been 3-0 down in half an hour. Um, Spurs had, I think they racked up three expected goals in that game and, and somehow didn't manage to win. Um, and yeah, they're, they're winless in nine for them. So they, they're, they're not, you know, while, while they are, are getting a bit, of, uh, a bit of credit for some improved performances, they're not turning them into wins. The process in that nine-game stretch is, is really concerning. One expected goal for 1.9 expected goals against per game. So they, they are performing like a relegation team. And, um, and I think that, again, Scott Park will know the, the size of this game. If they can get a win, they're in all of a sudden, you know, potentially within touching distance of Newcastle, um, give, depending on how their result goes earlier on in the day. So it is, it's a massive game already. I think only the 21st game week of the season. Um, but yeah, given the, the, the size of it, 
I think neither team will, or both teams will set up not to lose. And I think it'll be a very cagey game between two attacking teams that haven't really fired. So under two and a half is definitely the, the value play. It's around 1.75, 1.78 on the market. We're looking at 1.64 on our model, 61% chance. So there's a decent chunk of value there to um, to back in under 2.5. And, and for me, that is a really good bet. Yeah, certainly not a contender for, for one of the highlight games. Maybe, <laughs> but, but one of the ones that was and has made the cut is the, the Arsenal versus Manchester United game, Pinnacle's highlight fixture. Um, pretty close according to the odds, actually, which might surprise some given what we've seen so far this season. Arsenal are a 2.92, so a 34% chance of the win for them. Manchester United are the favourites, but only just at 2.58, so they get a 38% chance. And the draw is 3.44. Um, and that obviously gets the remaining 28% chance. I think United sat top of the table for the the briefest of, of moments, and they've been playing a lot better than we saw at the early part of the season. But they've, I think, recently they've struggled in terms of creativity. Bruno Fernandez been a bit cold of late, and obviously a lot of the work that they do goes through him. Um, Arsenal have have not been very Arsenal, should I say. Um, some decent performances recently, scoring goals, not conceding many looking a lot better than what we've seen over the last 18 months or, or two years. But I think the thing with them is it's about maintaining that. And we have seen these odd sort of five, six game runs where they look like they've turned a corner, but then they've just fallen back to their, to their old selves. Um, it's going to be a, a big test for them this game. Um, I'm interested to hear hear your thoughts, Jake, because I know there's there's often been the value play against Arsenal. And I know the InfoGold model is going to look back further than the, the six or seven games that we've seen in the, the corner that they've apparently turned. So what are you going for in the in the highlight game for Pinnacle in this one? Uh, we're going to go for the under two and a half. Um, I think the market is is very well priced. I think they've got it spot on this game. Um, yeah, the InfoGold model is pretty much bang in line with what with what you've, you've just said there in terms of the pricing. Um, and I think that's probably fair. I think... Um, Arsenal, even when they were on that bad run of form, was it seven, maybe even ten games without a win in the middle of the season? Their underlying numbers weren't like terrible. They weren't towards the point where we were looking at a team that were going to be 14th or 15th in the table. They were always around 10th, 11th, um, even when they were having that bad run. And, and you know they've had a, a fair bit of positive variance in the last uh, in the last six games, and, and those wins and the Chelsea one have all come against teams in the bottom half of our expected goals table. So they've had a really easy run of fixtures. Uh, they've made the most of it. They, they look back to themselves. The confidence is back. They're creating more and better chances, which is um, something they struggle with over you know a long period. Ever since we started this podcast, they've really struggled in, in attack. And they're, they average 1.99 expected goals for per game through those six matches. So um, there is a you know a huge positive to take there in the, the you know, the likes of Emil Smith Rowe, uh, Kyle Saka coming to the forefront. They're being the driving force of their of their attack. Um, yeah, there, there's a few issues coming into this game though. Um, personnel more than anything, because Smith Rowe and Thomas Partey are both uh, questionable uh, as to whether they're going to play here. And, and if, you know, especially Partey, if Partey doesn't play, I, I would be very concerned. And I think it, if, if the lineups come out um, and Partey isn't in the starting eleven or on the bench, I think you will see. Manchester United's price um, shortened quite quickly. I think he's a key player. If you remember back to the game at Old Trafford, he did a really good job in that game um, of breaking up Manchester United's play, driving past Manchester United's midfield to start Arsenal's attacks. And I think it, when he doesn't play, there's a massive drop-off from him to El Elneny or whoever else comes in. So I think 
I would wait for team news if, before you're going to bet on the one X two. Um, if you think party, if you've got some information and you know that party's not going to play, then I would take Manchester United to win the game now because um, although they were embarrassing in midweek against Sheffield United away from home, they've been a completely different animal this season. Uh, the underlying process highlights that brilliantly. Average 1.9 expected goals for per game away from home this term, um, allowing 1.4 expected goals against per game. So, you know, we, we, it's known that Manchester United tend to win um, and both teams to score away from home, <clears throat> given the defensive weaknesses that they've shown and, and the way in which they play on the road. But I don't know what it is, but they're playing with such freedom when, the, when they're away from home. And at home, they, they've looked really poor for the majority of the season. So I think they'll enjoy being at the Emirates this time around. Um, but yeah, Arsenal are improving. Defensively, they have continued to look fairly solid. Uh, that's one thing that you can, you, you know, you have to give Mikel Arteta credit for. He has tightened them up. He's made them look like a more um, defensive or better defensive structure for sure. And um, their average of 1.2 expected goals against per game is is up there with uh, the best in the Premier League. I think it's actually better than Manchester United's um, defensive process this season. So I think it, 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 you look back to recent head-to-heads between Mikel Arteta and the big six. Um, and most of them have been low-scoring games. I think Arsenal have got a really good record in those matches as well, uh, if you exclude the the Tottenham one recently. Uh, they beat Manchester United. They obviously beat um, Manchester City in the FA Cup. They beat Chelsea in the FA Cup last season. So they've got a really good record um, in those matches because I think that it just allows them to sit back and counter-attack. And I think we'll see something similar. Um, but yeah, I think... Under two and a half goals is a very solid play in this one. Um, and, you know, the other reason for that being, given the people that we expect Arsenal to be missing, I think that they will have to play on the back foot because I think Kieran Tierney is also a doubt. Uh, and so is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So you're talking four of arguably their best players over the last, um, well, four or five weeks that will be missing. And I think that could well make that price about Manchester United look very big come the, uh, you know, come the closing price. Um, so if you're going to back Manchester United, I would back them now. Um, but under 2.5 goals is the selection in this one at around 2.1. I think that's a, a very sensible bet uh, in what I expect to be a tight game made even tighter by Arsenal. Well, Pinnacle is heeding some of your advice, Jake. And that is to, if you're going to back Manchester United, back them now because Pinnacle's going in at Manchester United winner at 2.58 based on what we've seen from the market and, I think your your comments are very valid and that's exactly what everyone's thinking. It's around that slight gamble on the team news of Bamiyang being a, a massive one. As you said, Smith Rowe, since he's come in, has, has made a real big difference and they're missing Tierney in amongst that as well and, and Partey, then it's it's a really different Arsenal side. So Pinnacle's prediction on this one is the, the Manchester United win and, and hopefully we can make some ground on you in our, in our predictions challenge. Um, we'll get on to our next game because we've got Southampton versus Aston Villa. Two surprising teams, I think, for, for different reasons. We did our, our preview pod way back when, before the season started, and we, we both had high hopes for Southampton based on the numbers from last year. Quite disappointing, I think. It feels like they've had kind of some good runs in there, and they've looked good at, at points, but they're 11th in the table. They're 14th according to expected goals. Really, the issue for them is, is clear to see, and that's in front of goal. Just one expected goal per game. Only West Brom, Burnley and Newcastle have put up worse numbers so far. Obviously, Danny Ings' injury and, and COVID and things like that are going to play a part. I think Che Adams has, has had some quality chances, but struggled to put the ball in the net. So they're, they're creating stuff, but basically relying on James Ward-Prowse to score a free kick every week, I think, at the moment. Um, Villa, on the other hand, they just look completely different to the one that went into lockdown 
in March of last year. Um, they're 10th in the table, which is one thing, and one place above Southampton, but they've got two games in hand on most of the teams above them. Expected goals has them as the fourth best team in the league. If they'd have got that win against Burnley, things would have looked even better for them. And they, they obviously, no surprise to say they deserved it based on expected goals figures from that match. I think they were near enough three expected goals to Burnley's one, but those things obviously happen. But when you consider all of that, it's it's easy to see why Villa are favourites here, even on the road to Southampton. Um, they're currently priced at 2.51. The Saints are 2.83. We've got a relatively high goals total at 2.5 and 3 with a lean towards the over on it as well. Um, what do you make of this one, Jake? And what does the InfoGoal model think? Is there value on offer? Um, yeah, we're, we're opposing the goal line on this one, um, which I was quite surprised about because, as you said, Villa's attacking metrics this season have been pretty sensational. Um, and I was also surprised that the... the I don't, I'm not sure if the model's quite caught up yet to just how poor Southampton have been recently. Uh, and how good Villa have been. So we, we, we do make Villa marginal favourites in this one, but um, 37% favourites as opposed to the 40% um, you know, that's available on the market. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a really, it's an interesting game. I think Southampton, um, I don't know what's happened to them, but they've fallen off a cliff recently. Um, the, pro, the performances have been, you know, really poor by their standards, even though they come into this having lost just one of the last um, seven games in the Premier League. Um yeah, they've dropped into the bottom half. They've struggled in attack, as you've mentioned. Uh, process is, is extremely poor, the fourth worst in the league. But defensively, they have been fairly solid this, this season. Um, they aren't conceding many chances. They're very, they keep games very tight. And uh, I think that's all that's happened, really. They, the start of the season, when they were winning matches, they were, they were getting a bit of luck in those really tightly contested games. And um, this bad run that they're currently on in terms of uh, results and points is because they've been on the wrong end of those tight games. And that was always going to be the case. It was always going to happen like that. Um, but at home, they've been really, really solid um, all round. Again, struggling in attack, 1.1 expected goals, four per game. But defensively, they've been uh, one of the better home teams in the Premier League, allowing just 1.17 expected goals against per game. So, um, yeah, at St Mary's, they can be very tight. And I think it helps that Ryan Bertrand's going to be back for this. He was suspended in midweek, meaning that they had to play um what's his name now is it was it Vokins the the young lad played left back yeah um who you know he had a, he had an okay game but I think Bertrand provides him a little bit more a bit more protection in there um yeah so there, there's you know there's a, there's a bit to like about Southampton from a defensive standpoint but going forward you know they've not really hit the heights that we saw last season that, that led us to believe that they could potentially challenge for you know European spot um as for Villa it's been the complete opposite they look very much like a, a top four team, a top six team, um, based on their underlying metrics. They've actually got the best expected goals for per game total, um, average, sorry, in, in the entire Premier League. Better than Manchester City, who are averaging around 2.05, uh, and Liverpool at 2.03, Villa at 2.09. So just to put it in perspective, just how good this attacking unit is. Um, they've got great balance now. Bertrand Troyer has been brought in. Playing at the other side of Jack, uh, either side of Watkins with Jack Grealish, you've got a really good balance with two players very similar in the way they play. They both beat lines with the ball carrying. They both got incisive passes um, that they can play through, and uh, and they both getting goal scoring opportunities. So they are an absolute handful. Ross Barkley in there to support as well has been a really inspired signing. Um, and all round, they've just been really, really impressive this season. There's no other way um, to, to say it, and they should be much higher in the table. Like you said, fourth in our expected goals table. That's actually. Um, calculated by using expected points. Um, 
so they, they should be fourth based on expected points. But as you said, they've got two games in hand as well. So if they play really well in those two games in hand and pick up more expected points, they could actually be very close to the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool based on expected points, uh, just to highlight the levels that they're currently operating at. And I, I would not be at all surprised if they beat Southampton here uh, and fairly handily because the, the numbers that they're putting up are, are simply impressive. And um, defensively, they've not been too bad either. Even though they are playing more on the front foot, they've not been um, massively open and vulnerable at the back, allowing just 1.36 expected goals against per game. So all round, very strong team. Um, but I think that given Southampton's resolute defence, especially at St Mary's, I think it's going to be a, a very tight game of a few chances because I think Southampton will probably play on the uh, on the counter-attack and sit back and soak up some of that Villa pressure. Um, you know, Villa have been shot merchants as well this season. They've been a really, really good team to follow uh, in the total shots market. I think they, they depend on the lines anyway. I'd definitely be looking there again, given how I expect this game to go. I think they had about 18, maybe 19 shots against Burnley. I think the line was set at around 14 even money for uh, Villa to have 14 or more shots. At Manchester City, I think they racked 11 um, or 12 shots, and that was the highest that Manchester City had conceded um, all season long. So they are, uh, they get into very, very you know good scoring positions regularly, and they, and they pull the trigger. So if you can find a decent line on, on shots totals for Aston Villa, I would definitely consider it, given that I expect them to be uh, the aggressors and be on top. Um, but yeah, for me, under 2.5 goals looks a uh, a value bet at the prices. I know they said the, the money's come for the overs, but the model is siding with the unders. At, um, I think we make it around a, a 2.09 shot and the market's around 2.12. So it's a small small margin. But um, yeah, that, that would be the way I would go in that one. Yeah, it kind of felt like after Villa's decent start that people were just waiting for them to to drop back down into the bottom half of the table, and they've they've really just carried it on, and they just they look solid. And and Watkins, I mean, he had that dry spell of I think it was ten games without a goal, but he looks like a, a great signing for them as well, especially with Grealish and the the stuff he's doing. So excited to see them, and I'm really excited for that game as well. Um, but next up, we've got uh, it's Chelsea versus Burnley. Um, I think. I'm interested to get your opinion on this one because <laughs> things have gone pretty bad since we last spoke in, in terms of results. I think people out there, if you're looking to fight a case for Lampard, you'd show them the info goal, expected goals table. <laughs> Chelsea can't yeah. just third based on expected goals. However, they have, they have dropped down to eighth. And this is a results game. It's a results business is often the call. So, so Abramovich has brought in Thomas Tuchel. Um, you can't read too much into his first game against Wolves. They drew nil-nil. I think it's really going to be about if he can build on... The, the platform is there. They're, they're doing all right, Chelsea. They've just been a little bit unlucky, I think, to a certain extent. Um, and really, it's about carry on creating chances, but putting the ball in the net is, is the big one for them. Um, I personally would expect to see them bouncing back up around sort of the top four pretty soon. Burnley have bounced back, certainly from a... A terrible start that we said. I kept asking you the question, Jake, and you kept the same answer. You were adamant that that what you could see and what we knew about Burnley that they shouldn't be down the down the bottom and in the conversation to go down. And they just know how to get results, don't they? I mean, it's it's not pretty when you look at things from a, an expected goal standpoint. Um, it rarely is with them, but they continue to upset the odds. They're going to have to do it here. Ten point zero is their is their odds to get the away win. Chelsea. Um, they're obviously the favourites at 1.359. Burnley's um, odds equate to a 10% chance. Chelsea's equate to a 72% chance. And 
if you did want to take on the draw, it's it's 5.26, which is around 18%. Um, the goal mark is pushing three. It's, it's split over 2.5 and three. Um, people are taking the overs, and I'm guessing they're thinking that Chelsea attack is going to come good under Tuchel. Um, do you think we'll see him sort of change things around early and then really sort of go out and, and blitz Burnley? Or are you going to do a, a Jake Osgathorpe special and take Burnley at, at such high odds? Yeah, this is, um, it's very tempting to do that, I've got to say. Um, having watched Chelsea in midweek struggle to break down, you know, stubborn defensive unit in Wolves, um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Burnley do something similar and try and frustrate uh, that Chelsea team because I thought the way that they set up really didn't suit the players that he had on the pitch. He was playing a 3-4-3 um, a with Hakim Ziyech playing... Um, as an inside forward and I think when you've got someone like Ziyech who can cross the ball and put it on a you know on the button if you like I think he needs to be out in wide areas but um, you know I don't think you can read too much into that as you've said even if he only had 24 hours to work with his team and, and try and get a plan across to him uh, to them but um, yeah quickly on on Frank Lampard I thought he was a little bit unlucky to have to have been sacked at that current moment um you know, I've spoken to people in the media. They've they've told me that Chelsea have been fans of Thomas Tuchel for quite a while, uh, and they've kept tabs on him for a long period of time. So as soon as he came available after being sacked at, around Christmas time, the apparently Chelsea were onto him straight away and talking to him. So uh, I guess from that standpoint, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and he is obviously a much more experienced and a much more uh, detailed tactical manager than Lampard, but. Um, yeah, the underlying numbers that they put up under, under Lampard, Chelsea, were actually really impressive all the way through his tenure. Um, last season, only Manchester City were, were better in attack based on expected goals. Um, you know, they, we spoke at length about their, their issues in, in terms of the underperformance. They scored 69 goals from 78 expected goals and conceded 54 from 46 expected goals. So there's a huge disparity there um, in terms of the actual goal, goal difference and expected goal difference. Um, and that led us to sort of believe that if they carried on the same manner, that they could potentially be in a title race this time around. And, um, you know, ironically, you look at their numbers now this season, um, you know, their expected goal difference is the the, the third, uh, the fourth best in the Premier League. So they, they're still at those kind of levels. And only Manchester City have actually boast, can actually boast a better defensive record um, than Liverpool, uh, sorry, than Chelsea uh, on a per game basis. So, there's been a lot of improvements made defensively. Their attacking process is still up there with the likes of um, uh, Manchester City. It's better than the likes of Manchester United and, and, and Leicester. So they're still performing at those elite levels. And one of the things that was thrown at Lampard as well was the away away performances. And, and you know, you've probably seen the stat that comes on at the bottom of the Sky Sports screen. Most away goals conceded since Lampard took over. Uh, I think Newcastle are top on 52, Chelsea on 50. Um you know, while that was a massive problem last season, you know, allowing 1.6 expected goals against per game um, away from home. This season, they, they got that average down to 1.04 expected goals against per game on their travel. So there'd been massive improvements made from a defensive standpoint away from home, which was what many people saw as, as Chelsea's Achilles heel. So um, that Chelsea team was actually improving under Lampard and getting better, despite the results suggesting otherwise. So I did feel that he was... Slightly unfortunate to get sacked at the time based on the numbers. Um, obviously, you know, football is a results-based business. Um, and, you know, we know that Roman Abramovich and the Chelsea board are very trigger-happy. So, given the fact that they sat eighth in the table, um, you know, they were on a really poor 
run of form. It wasn't a surprise to see the the, the trigger pulled. But um, yeah, one thing is for sure, Tuchel inherits a very very impressive squad of players at Chelsea, and um, I think he I think he's a better manager than than Lampard. He should be able to get more out of this team. But um, I'm just intrigued to see what he does really, because I'm very surprised to see him play a back three against Wolves. Um, maybe that was more to do with what he thought Wolves were going to do as opposed to how he wants his team, how he envisages his team setting up on a game-to-game -game basis. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they approach this, this game against Burnley. Um, you know, a Burnley team that, as I've mentioned, really have overperformed recently in terms of expected goals. They've picked up some really impressive results, notably the win at Liverpool. So, um, you know, I think they, they went off at around 14-1 to 1 to win that game. Um, and they're going off at about nine to one, ten to one to win this one. So they have been there and done it, defied those kind of odds. Um they were just looking now, they were three to one to beat Villa at home. So that typical overpricing of Burnley continues. And um I think underestimate them at your peril. They they're a very organized unit defensively they've been um really impressive. And one thing that we've spoken a lot about on uh, on this show is is the downgrading of chances from an XG to a post-shot XG angle and that's something that Burnley do really really well so while over the last 13 games you've conceded 22 expected goals you're looking at the post-shot XG and I can guarantee that that'll be around um, 15 or 16 just purely based on the, the narrow angles that they give their, their, their opponents the blocks that they get on the ball that takes the pace off it for the goalkeeper um, so that you know there's a lot to like about the chances here really and you know, you've got an organised, a settled unit travelling to a team that's just trying to learn a new system and a new manager. So I think at the prices, Chelsea are way too short for me. Um, I definitely think there's some value in opposing Chelsea, um, given what we saw against Wolves, the fact that they couldn't break them down. I think that they didn't create a single big chance in that match. They created just 0.8 expected goals. So I definitely would would consider opposing Chelsea in this with the either Burnley or the draw and the double chance market or just simply laying the hosts. Um, elsewhere, the, the the model is flagging up both teams to score as a value bet, and I think that it, that is an interesting bet. Um, but given what again what we saw from Chelsea, the way in which they sort of pass the ball for passing sakes um, against Wolves, I don't really see Burnley having too many opportunities with the ball to do something. So um, I would probably swerve away from that both teams to score angle. But the nil nil definitely comes into play again here for me. Um, Having seen the way that Chelsea played against Wolves, that you know they were proactive. They tried to take the game to Wolves, but they, um, I think, they had about 860 passes in that game, or, or something along those lines. And the, you know, the Chelsea Twitter feed were tweeting it out like it was a you know great success story. Um, 16 of our 860 passes, which did make me chuckle. Um, but yeah, I, I think I can see that this game going very similar to that game in midweek with with Chelsea just basically banging the head against a brick wall and. Um, I think I definitely would recommend a small stake on, on Burnley or the draw in this one. Passes win games, Jake. Do you not know that? <laughs> yeah, it's the, you know, it's, everyone raves about, you know, possession of the football, but Burnley can consistently defy that, don't they? They, they have next to no possession in, in any of their matches and, and still go away and, and, you know, register wins that uh, people don't expect. So, yeah. Right, let's get on to our, our next one is uh, it's Leicester versus Leeds. And this one, people, I think, are going to have high expectations of given the way that, that these two play or match up. The the market likes the overs with the goal mark set at three and, and Leicester are taking most of the money on the 1x2 as well, despite being the, the odds on favourites. They have a 54% chance of getting the win according to their odds of 1.813. Um, Leeds just under 23% chance at 42 
and the draw is rated at around 23 as well at 4.21. We we saw a really impressive first half of the season from Leicester last year before they catastrophically dropped away. And I don't know what went wrong there, but it went horribly wrong. But it looks like they've learned their lesson from that. They, they look a lot more solid this time around. Leeds are just Leeds, I guess. You never really know how the game's going to go when they play. Um, the fact that they've got the second worst defence in the league, according to expected goals at 1.93 expected goals per game against, yet they're rated as the 11th best team overall. It kind of tells the story, I think. Um, I guess the question here is how are these two going to match up in terms of their style? Does Rogers change the way Leicester play? Does does he just try and outplay Leeds? What, what do you reckon we're going to see here, Jake? Um, well... There's one thing that we know heading into this game, and that is that Leeds are not going to change their style of play. They play in exactly the same manner, whether they're playing West Brom or Manchester City. And, and that's one of the things that's made them a, a breath of fresh air this season is that they've just been so good, so gung-ho in the way in which they've played. And ultimately, it's led to them you know, getting smacked in the mouth a fair few times by these better teams. And looking at the, the numbers in more detail from a Leeds standpoint, 52% of their total expected goals against this season has come in six matches against last season's top six, which is uh, staggering. And it just sort of shows you the, the um, you know, the issues that they've had when playing against better, better opponents. So they basically played 19 matches this season and in six games, so about a third of their season, 52% of their total expected goals against has, has, has been conceded. And, and that equates to around 3.2 expected goals against per game um, against last season's top six. So that was Manchester City, Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, Leicester and Spurs. Um, Leicester, if you remember, Tonkin 4-1 at Ellen Road a few uh, a few months ago. And I just think that, that it's just the way that Leeds play. Um, you know, they, they play a high press all over the pitch. They commit men. They try and win the ball high, high up. Um, in, in the defensive third. Um, and, you know, when you've got better players, they can break that press quite easily and, and leave and, you know, fully expose what is a, a fairly weak defence when they uh, when when they don't get it right. And that's exactly what those kind of teams have done. Liverpool racking up over three expected goals. I think Chelsea racked up four and a half XG against Leeds. Spurs obviously racked up nearly three as well. And Manchester United put six past them not so long ago. So um, this is not, you know, it's not a fluke that it's happened to those six teams in particular, uh, against those six teams in particular. And I think Leicester will simply be licking the lips at the thought of playing against this Leeds team once again. And um, yeah, I, I think that Le Leicester won't change their approach one bit. They'll, they've got really good tacticians, uh, sorry, technicians in the middle of the park that can break those lines with passes and, and runs even. You know, you think of Madison, um, he's got a, a, a decent turn of pace to potentially get around a corner and beat his man. And I think those one-on-one -on -one battles in particular can really expose uh, leads. And I definitely will be looking at Harvey Barnes versus Luke Eiling. Watching uh, Eiling in midweek against St. Maximan, given the runaround, doesn't fill me with confidence from a lead standpoint. Um, I think he even tweeted after the game, Luke Eiling, like, um, something along the lines of, oh, don't pass it to him again, uh, with a picture of him sulking. So, um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, it is humorous, it's funny, but um, it doesn't really fill me with confidence against another really good 1v1 dribbler. Um, yeah, and I think that Leicester, have, have, they're a different team to what we saw last season. They they, they look like they're going to stay as opposed to capitulate. Um, and they, they have improved as the season's gone on. Um, at the start of the season, <clears throat> you remember me saying that they were heavily reliant on penalties. I think they picked up about 10 penalties in four games or something daft. And 
Um, you know, that was bulking up their XG numbers, but recently they've, you know, they've not won as many penalties, so they've had to create the chances and, and they've been doing that at a really impressive rate. Um, while also dominating football matches, you know, it's not, they're not playing on the counter-attack, they are dominating the football and, and really taking the game to, to their opponents. I mean, you think back to the, the game against Southampton where they absolutely schooled them 2-0, uh, did the same thing to Chelsea as well, really, really impressive performance. So, um, there's a lot to like about Leicester coming into this game, and, and I think that they're a very, very good bet to win the match. Um, I, I'm surprised at the price, to be honest. I thought it'd be much shorter. Um, I thought it'd be around uh, the 1.75 mark. So, um, I, I'm, you know, no Vardy is a bit of an issue, but I think they've still got plenty um, of, of attacking talent there to really hurt this Leeds backline. And um, yeah, I think that for me, that's the, that's the best bet in this game. It's just back in Leicester to win. I think that that's probably one of the bets of the weekend. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, both with the, the price. It's it's interesting that a lot of leaders' fixtures, that the market just seems to go on reputation and that what, what's said about the way they play, but also that that jump up in quality and the, the, the players just, they work great as a unit, but once one of those players is beaten, like Luke Ayling, it then becomes very difficult for that unit to work because they're, they're in sort of recovery mode and they've been found out plenty of times against elite teams and probably going to happen again uh this weekend yeah exactly and newcastle managed to do it as well in midweek they, they actually took 22 shots newcastle which is pretty unheard of for for a team that have been you know bottom of all the attacking metrics so they were actually getting in positions where they could take a shot and, and that was all due to the fact of like you said they were committing <coughs> committing these players into into tackles and then all of a sudden you're running at a back line and um you know i think leicester can do something very similar i expect it to be an entertaining game i wouldn't be at all surprised to see Leeds get on the score sheet as well. Um, so maybe Leicester to win and both teams to score at a potentially bigger price might also appeal. Um, but yeah, this, this will be definitely a good game to watch as opposed to some of the other games this week. Right, we'll move on to West Ham versus Liverpool, uh, a crucial top four clash, obviously. With two, <laughs> Said two by the West Ham fan. <laughs> two elite teams in the league, Jake. No, I'm only messing yeah. Liverpool don't deserve to be that high up the table. Um, no, no, <laughs> I'm going to say that uh, on Infogol, West Ham have got the uh, they've got the sun icon, which is a hot team, and they've got a tick for the uh, a really strong home team as well. So, yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Well, they've on a serious note, they West Ham have been a lot better of late. They were sort of in getting a lot better when we we previously spoke, and they've they've just sort of built from there. They've obviously been very fortunate with some of their results, and I think we can we can probably expect them to get closer towards mid table with a, a tricky run of fixtures coming up as well, but. I think the big positive for them is not obviously the attacking output is good and, and Mikel Antonio has been crucial to them in that regard, but it's the fact that they can go into games like this and not expect a, a four or a five nil drubbing as they, they would have before. Um, and I think some people might look to, to <clears throat> recent dry spell in front of goal, sort of stretching back before the Tottenham game, combine that with, with West Ham sort of defensive improvements and, and probably look to, towards the unders in this. But really, when you look at it in a little bit more detail, Liverpool, they I pulled some figures. They got 1.92 XG against Burnley, 1.4 against Manchester United, 1.77 against Southampton, 1.47 against Newcastle, and 1.69 against West Brom. So it's not as high as, as we'd normally expect, especially against teams down the bottom of the table. But it, it's certainly not as bad as people thought. And we know they're, they're a good attacking team and it's... It's just one of those times that with time, those things, you, you have your ups and your downs and, and Liverpool seem to have had their, had their down. Um, the market has bought into the Tottenham result for Liverpool. They're now taking the bulk of the action at 
Uh, West Ham are 4.53. If you think West Ham can, can hold them out, then the under 2.5 and 3 is odds against. If you think Liverpool are going to be back to their clinical best, then the over 2.5 and 3 is odds on at 1.854. So an interesting one where sort of all the markets are concerned. Is there is there anything that jumps out to you, Jake? Um, yeah, there's a couple of things that um, that jump out to me that I will talk about. I think the, there's a couple of really big price ones that I've done a bit of digging on um, that, that I think could be really interesting. They're a bit niche in terms of the market anyway, but I just wanted to talk, just quickly follow on from what you were saying there. You mentioned Mikel Antonio. Um, he has been unbelievably crucial to your West Ham team this season. I did some of the numbers. He's, he's basically, um, he's played... Nine, uh, he's played 11 of the 20 games. Um, he's missed nine. And the XG figures with and without him are really, really interesting to look at. So when Antonio is in the team, they're averaging 1.8 expected goals for per game. When he's not in the team, they're averaging 1.37 expected goals for per game. So there's a, there's a drop off there of about 0.4 expected goals per game. Defensively, which I thought was really interesting, when Antonio is in the team, they're, they're allowing 0.87 expected goals against per game, which is a staggeringly low number. Um, and when he's not in the team, they're allowing 1.7 expected goals against per game. So that you know, there's a hike there of about 0.8 expected goals. So in total, when Antonio's in the team, he, you're 1.2 expected goals better off than when he's not in the team, which I thought was just really interesting. And like I said, it's a 50-50 split. If I remember rightly, he played quite a lot of the games early on in the season against better better opponents as well. So he actually played against. Um, you know, the likes of Manchester City. I don't think he played against United, but um, against Liverpool, I think he played. So really, really interesting stuff that um, just just purely from a, the angle of, of, you know, analysis more than anything. And uh, and the expected points with Antonio and the teams at 1.9 compared to 1.1 when he isn't in the team. So it just shows you how crucial he is. And, you know, Sebastian Haller, he had his critics at West Ham. I'd you know, I, I think he's a, there's a decent player in there somewhere, but that just shows you that when Antonio isn't in the team, Halle wasn't doing the job that Antonio was doing in terms of, you know, A, getting in scoring positions and B, holding the ball up and taking the pressure off West Ham, uh, at, you know, the defence. Because what Antonio does really well, because he is physical and mobile, is that he can, you know, he can protect the ball and, and give those defenders a break. Um, so that I just thought that was really interesting to look at from an analysis point of view. And, and perhaps somewhere that, that West Ham need to strengthen in either this window or the summer window. It's just bringing in a backup striker that can do a similar job because Antonio has had his injury issues. So again, team news dependent. If Antonio isn't in the side, West Ham are a completely different outfit. Um, so yeah, at, at the moment, you know, I think Antonio looks like he's going to go. He, he's played the last couple of games in, in a row. So I think he's fit for this one. But if he wasn't in the starting lineup, then I would absolutely be snapping up that price of uh, that you quoted there for Liverpool, who who've been you know, fairly impressive this season, even though the results have been pretty shaky of late. You mentioned there the, the expected goal totals that they put up in the last few games um, or that five-game winless run that they went on. They were actually creating the chances. They just weren't taking them. And uh, and that's something that you don't expect to see from, um, from Liverpool. I think there was eight expected goals in total over those five matches that they racked up and they scored just once. That's a huge, huge underperformance for a team that has such you know strong attacking quality. Um, but yeah, so the the main play in, a nor, in the main normal markets here is is looking at for me anyway. I'm looking at the both teams to score. I think that's a really really strong play. Um, I think it's a, it's a short enough price at around one point one point six. 
but I think that this West Ham team can score um, maybe even a couple of times against this Liverpool team who, um, you know, defensively, let's be honest, they, they've not looked very comfortable ever since, um, you know, Van Dijk and Gomez have been injured. The underlying metrics suggest that they're not doing um, as bad as, as what the eye test and the results would suggest. But what I have known, noticed is that while they haven't been conceding as many chances, the, the amount of big chances or better chances that be conceding has actually increased. So there is vulnerabilities there. And we also did some digging into um, into headed chances conceded. So Van Dijk's obviously a monster in the air. He's a, you know he's an absolute unit. He's got a great leap. He's commanding. Uh, last season, Liverpool conceded an average of 0.15 expected goals per game from headers. This season, it's up to 0.22 uh, in the absence of Virgil van Dijk. And now that might not seem like a lot, uh, that 0.07, but that effectively is is two headed chances extra on goal. Um, you know, headed chances generally have a, a much lower probability than uh, than a, a shot that's taken with the foot. So that I just thought was a really interesting um, thing to pick up on. And then you go a little bit further and, and 20% of Liverpool's expected goals against this season has been conceded from corners and set pieces. And what do West Ham do very well? Specialist, Jake. Corners yeah. and set pieces, yeah. yeah. They're 25% of West Ham's expected goal total this season has come from those corners and set pieces. Um, so that's free kicks, direct free kicks uh, and corners, obviously. Um, so I just thought that was a really interesting angle just to sort of bring up and, and the potential for backing um, a big price anytime goal scorer. You think of Ogbonna, who I think scored a couple of times. Craig Dawson recently got his first goal from a corner. Um, uh, and then if you can find the market, Aaron Cresswell takes most of the set pieces. Um, if you can back him to get an assist, I definitely would be looking at that. I think um, I think he's priced up at around nine with quite a few firms. So there's that's definitely an angle in that I'm, I'm considering backing. Having done all this this work and again, um, but all yeah, and the, the the other one that I think is you know he's not going he's going to be much more obvious is, is Thomas Suchek to score any time. Um, not only is he an absolute threat in the air, he's you know it's Fellaini esque minus the afro, but um, he he's getting in really good scoring positions. He's averaging around 0.3 expected goals uh, per 95 minutes this season. I think Danny Ings at 0.32, Abamyang's at 0.34. So that's the kind of company that he's keeping in terms of uh, getting scoring chances and getting in positions to, to sort of score goals. So he is a, an actual, you know, a, a monstrous threat for this West Ham team. And I think if you can get anywhere around, I probably would back him at, at, at three to one or bigger. Um, I think that that's the kind of price range I would be looking at for, for Suchek to score any time. He obviously is making lung bursting runs into the box um, from open play and also, He's a massive threat from set pieces. So I think that that is definitely an interesting and a more niche angle for this one, potentially exposing a, a Liverpool weakness, which is defending um, set pieces and, and aerial battles. I'm loving these these niche markets, Jake. I think when you, <laughs> yeah. you add into the mix that Fabinho, I think, might be injured. I think Joel Matip is, is injured. There's, I mean, the list just goes on for Liverpool. Yeah. They're really having a tough time of it. But yeah, West I think they... they they finished last night, didn't they? Um, we're, we're recording this on Friday. They're finishing last night on um, with, I think, was it Nat Phillips and Jordan Henderson at centre-half? Um, and if those guys are playing centre-half again um, and the land of the Giants walking from West Ham, I think it could be, you know, that that's a real opportunity for, for West Ham to, to score from set pieces. I think that, you know, even from open play, Cresswell, when he gets the ball out of his feet, um, can whip in a really fantastic delivery. So 
Um, yeah, I think I think it's really it's an intriguing setup, an intriguing match, and just for a bit more context about West Ham, they they are playing at a level that we would expect to see from a top six team. So their position is no fluke. Um, they are performing extremely well, and I think David Moyes deserves a lot of credit. Deserves a new contract, I think. I think he's got one. <laughs> are you in the Moyes in camp now? Are you? He's all right. <laughs> um, right, let's get on to our, our last game. We've got um, it's Tottenham versus Brighton or Brighton versus Tottenham, I should say, Brighton at home. Two very different teams here in, in terms of where they're at in the table, but they're actually quite similar in perhaps where they where they should be. Um, you mentioned this is going to be the, the info goal highlight fixture. Um, Brighton, I mean, I don't know what to say about them. They're, they've got to be the unluckiest team going at the moment. They, they're down in 17th. Expected goals-wise, they should be up in 8th. Tottenham obviously is 6th, but expected goals-wise should be 10th. So they're they're fairly close in, in terms of the underlying performance, and actually you can flip them over. In terms of the odds, um, Tottenham still are, are the favourites despite being on the road. They're 2.39, Brighton are 3.18, and the draw is 3.46. Obviously, as you said, time of recording, we're, we're doing this after the Tottenham-Liverpool game. We know that Harry Kane is, is injured and likely to miss, well, definitely this game, but, but probably a few more over the next couple of weeks. So you throw that into the mix. I'm interested to know where you're going, Jake. I have a I have an inkling and an idea, but what's your prediction for this one then? Um, yeah, firstly, I just want to say that the market itself is really interesting because I, I don't know whether it's just the hurricane effect, but I would have expected, given the league positions of these two teams, that, that Spurs will be around even money for this game. Um, I think like Manchester City, like, yeah, the Spurs aren't at that level obviously, but I think Manchester United went off at around 1.8 when they played Brighton at the Amex. Um, Liverpool will have obviously gone off shorter. Um, even Arsenal, when they played at the Amex, I think they were a little bit shorter than this 2.3 that you're getting for Tottenham. So I think that just sort of, for a start, puts into perspective and sort of backs up the the selection that I'm going with. And that is that the market isn't trusting Tottenham um, and it thinks that Brighton are actually probably a better team than what the league position suggests. And that's something that we've been banging the drum for all season long. And um, yeah, I, I think if, if Spurs were a bit shorter, I would probably play it a little bit safer and take Brighton or the draw. But I am going to back Brighton to get the win. Um, now, before you think that I'm you know an absolute nutter and I'm crazy, Brighton haven't won at home this season. Um, that is true, but digging deeper into the underlying metrics, which is what obviously Infowell does, um, I just found it really, really interesting that they, they actually Brighton sit third in in the table based on expected points collected at home. So their performances at home have been the third best in the entire Premier League, yet they are winless. Um, and they've collected just six points, um, which is the fourth worst record in the league. So, the, you know, the level of underperformance is simply astonishing. And then you dig a little bit deeper, wondering why that's happening. And that's just because they're not taking the chances um, and they're conceding more goals than would be expected. So, you know, the, the, their underperformance is coming from uh, bad luck as opposed to anything else because they are getting themselves in really strong scoring positions, averaging 1.97 expected goals for per game uh, and 1.03 expected goals against per game uh, at the Amex, which is... Simply, you know, astounding underlying numbers. They're what we would expect to see from the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, um, Manchester City. So they are posting numbers at home that we would expect to see from a top a top four team. Uh, but yet the results haven't come for them. <clears throat> As I said, 
Their, their goal difference at home is minus five. Their expected goal difference is plus 9.4. So they've underperformed by around 14 goals. Now, obviously, expected goals works with the premise of if you keep performing the same way, the results will eventually regress to what you know performances deserve. So sooner or later, Brighton will get results at home. They will start winning points and climbing that table. I'm pretty sure of it. I think this is a good opportunity as any for that to happen. Um, you know, they, they showed in midweek once again against Fulham, who basically went there, sat deep and tried to shut up shop. They created chances at will in that game. I think they had three big chances. So chances of a, with an XG total of 0.35 or greater. And they racked up 2.37 expected goals in that game without scoring. So the, the chance creation is there. That's never been doubted. Um, it's just taking the chances has been an issue. But I think this Tottenham team provides them with a, a really good opportunity. Um, you know, we speak about Brighton underperforming. Spurs are actually overperforming this season, even though they sit sixth in the table. Uh, that might sound strange, given that, you know, the, they started the season so well. They had a really good mini run against the you know better teams in the league. Um, but ultimately, results and performances recently have led to them sliding down our XG table. They actually sit 10th in our XG table based on expected points and expected goal difference as well. So it's no fluke that they're, um, you know, falling adrift, you would say, of, of the top two and maybe even the top four. Um, and, you know, away from home in particular, they've been very, very vulnerable at the back, allowing 1.4 expected goals against per game um, compared to, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the, the top six teams, you would have to say, um, I think Manchester United are around the same mark, but they're creating around 0.4 expected goals for per game, more than what this Tottenham team is. Um, and the issue now you've got is that Harry Kane's out. And um, I saw a, a stat going around that I think I think it's around 72% of uh, of Tottenham's goals this season have, have come from you know, Son or Kane, whether that be assisted or got or scored. So that is um, you know, a simply staggering num number. And you're basically taking out not only Tottenham's best goal scorer and the player who's going to get in the in the scoring positions more regularly, but you're also taking out their best creator this season. Um, you know, he's, he's racked up so many assists that they're going to miss him greatly. And I, and I think that's going to have a real impact on their attacking numbers. Where You know, who, who Mourinho brings in is going to be really interesting because Gareth Bale's been limited with his game time. Um, you know, Lamella, I think, came on for him at half time. So, uh, again, in that Liverpool game, It'd be really interesting to see what, what Mourinho does. But I think that this Tottenham team are perhaps being overhyped and overestimated. Um, I think the, the you know, like, like I've said, defensively, they are vulnerable. They've shown signs of that. They have a goalkeeper that potentially is is also vulnerable um, in certain areas and certain aspects. You think of, you know, the, the Trent Alexander-Arnold goal, for example. Um, the first one that springs to mind where he's just sort of pushed it on a plate for him. Um so I think this is a good spot for Brighton to to get that first home win. They're they're, they're going to play on the front foot. I fully expect Brighton to dominate the football. Um, I think it'll be that kind of game where Tottenham might have the opportunity to counterattack, which does make them very dangerous. But without Harry Kane as that linchpin to sort of get those attacks going, holding the ball up, bringing players in, uh, bringing other teammates into play, um, I think that they could struggle. And, and I think Brighton absolutely thumped them um, at the Amex last season, three nil. Uh, and ran them close, very, you know, very, very close in the in the two away games recently as well. I think it was two one on both occasions, been uh, been in both of those matches until very late on. So I think this is a good a good opportunity for Brighton to get a win. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Brighton just to win as the selection. Um, it's a big price. What price is it, Ben? Around three point two, something like that. But we're on, yeah, Brighton three point one eight. 
Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that they're, they're too they're too big a price. We make them thirty five percent chance, so odds of about two point eight six. So there's a decent chunk of value there um, for me to get on side. Like I said, if, if Spurs were a bit shorter, I'd be looking at, at siding with a double chance. If you want to play it safer, you can back Brighton draw no bet or plus nought on the Asian handicap, which um, you know would probably be about even money, maybe one point nine. So there's different ways you can get Brighton on side, but for the sake of this. Um, you know, the, the infragol profit and loss and the battle that we're currently in with Pinnacle. Uh, I'm going to go swing big and, and try and take a, you know, a big chunky win. Yeah, I think, the, I mean, it's a bold call from yourself. The one Pinnacle's going with is a, a little bit safer based on the market. And the, the two obvious things to pull out, I think, are, are Tottenham's sort of reluctance to to attack, even with Harry Kane in the side. Um, and then obviously with him being out, it's it's even less likely that we're going to score, see, uh, see some goals. Um, my guess would be Son goes up front and potentially they bring someone out into the into his position on the wing. Um, but Pinnacle's going with the under 2.5 at 1.787. So again, fingers crossed we we can make some ground. If you if you win that one, the, the leads does really sort of open up with a, a bold call on Brighton. Um, but that is it for for today's episode. It does feel good to be back, Jake. I've got to admit, there's, there's plenty of good games. <laughs> Plenty of interesting betting angles to look for this weekend. So, so thanks for coming on and, and helping with some of that expert analysis. Yeah, no problem. I think we'll uh, we'll be doing it again very shortly, given the uh, the manic schedule that the Premier League is currently on. That's it. And and thank you to everyone for tuning in as well. All of the odds that we've discussed on today's show are available on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets, and remember to always gamble responsibly.